Recording in progress. Welcome to the second season of the Now Strategos podcast. Strategos is a Greek term which roughly translated means generalship and it is part of the origin of the English word strategy. My name is Britton Jacobson. I own a few entrepreneurship endeavors, work a full-time W-2 job, and enjoy learning. I appreciate you being here. Let's get into the episode. Cool. Well, Haley, it's nice to uh, connect with you. So basically to give a little bit, I'll give my version of a background and then we'll, you know, get yours, obviously. So we both went to Patrick Henry. I graduated in 2016. You graduated in 2018, I think. Right. And so I think you're about two years uh, behind me or whatever in graduation, but we ended up, we, you also did the SI program, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So at Patrick Henry, for those who don't know, um, the the main focus of the college is kind of like pre-law and a bunch of most people that go there, that's what they care about. Um, but there's a substantive part of the people or the, the, the students that go there that do the government. And then the track is strategic intelligence, which is kind of like analyst related work pertaining to, in theory, starting to work as an analyst for like an intelligence agency of some sort or somewhere in the government. A lot of students who go through with that often end up doing something completely different. I'm certainly a poster child uh, for that. And uh, to a certain extent, I think you are as well. Yes. So. I, I wanted to start by uh, kind of like starting in college a little bit. What made you go to PHC and why did you pick the SI program? And I know you've covered this a little bit in some other conversations and whatnot you've had, but I wanted to, as someone who went there and went through the program, I wanted to ask myself. Sure. <laughs> well, um, I picked Patrick Henry because there were only a few schools um, in the country that had the global security intelligence kind of leaning. Um, I also applied to Embry-Riddle down in Arizona and got in there, but it was uh, not a Christian school. And um, and I kind of like the smaller school feel of Patrick Henry. Um, So that's why I went there. And the reason I wanted to do national security, I'm, I'm not really sure. But um, I guess my family says I have a heart for justice. And um, when I was little, I'd always see the kid in the corner all alone and I feel so bad for them. And I just wanna like bring him in and protect him and um, include him. And I guess that's kind of, you know, along with the theme of justice and protection and, you know, taking care of people. and. I thought that um, the global security strategic intelligence track was the way to go with that. <laughs> that's, that's funny that you say all that because <laughs> I, I had slightly different approach. I didn't know what I wanted to do in college or in high school relative to college because I had so many different interests. But mm-hmm. then I finally settled on this kind of basically my plan was to do paramilitary counterterrorism. And so because I went through like a Western Civ course that started covering terrorism and it like captured my sense of justice. And I was like, I want to be be able to be in a position where I can say no to this, you know, physical, very physical manifestation of evil. Mm -hmm. And it spoke to me on that level um, because of the the sense of justice. And then I also was basically choosing between Patrick Henry and Embry Riddle, but I only applied to Patrick Henry mostly because they had the, like their program was more established and a little bit older. So that was like the main deciding factor, but 
but I also like the idea of the smaller school or whatnot. So anyway, that, that's funny that we had some similar thoughts there. Yeah, that's um, really cool. <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder how many students actually like go to pursue the track. Now that I think about it, I wonder how many students kind of pursue that track from that sense of justice standpoint versus like a, you know, I want to work for the CIA because I've always wanted to or something. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's very interesting. Yeah, I knew going into Patrick Henry that, you know, global security and intelligence is not like it is in the movies. I mean, that's like so yep. cool, but it's just, that's just not real. <laughs> so thankfully I had that mindset going in. <laughs> true, true. Yeah, I think I wanted part of the paramilitary pursuit aspect of it was I wanted to get as close to the movies as I could. Um, but I knew that the intelligence piece wasn't, I wanted to get an idea of kind of how everything, how the system worked before I was just like kind of boots on the ground being told what to do. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that was the, that was the strategy, but okay. So in college and we barely interacted in college, if at all, I was trying to remember, I feel like we might've said a couple sentences to each other. I was like living off campus. I was doing my own thing, even just in general relative to my own class and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't super plugged in. Um, and so I'm sure that contributed, but I have this, you, you have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I have this sense that you were a, a, like a little quieter of an operator. Oh, yeah. You had a more withdrawn, uh, not in a bad way, but a more withdrawn personality, which I feel like is somewhat at odds with, you know, I watched a couple of like videos and things that you've, where you're talking about what you're doing now, which I feel like is somewhat at odds with this currently, you know, talking with me vivacious to a certain extent, Haley. So <laughs> I'm curious about that and like what kind of the, in as much as you are open to chatting about it, like what the driving factors and whatever were to that. And if that was something you developed in college, you came into college with that, like kind of what the, what the deal is there. Sure. Yeah. So in high school, I was very gregarious, um, very outgoing, <laughs> had a lot of friends. I was, um, the president of our little Christian co-op. <laughs> I was homeschooled, but um, yeah, but, <laughs> as yeah. were most PhDers, uh, at least at least till now. <laughs> uh -huh. Were you homeschooled? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> well, you don't look like it, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's like every homeschooler's dream is like take pride in being homeschooled, but not look like it. So <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I've had so many people. Anyways, I don't want to sidetrack too much, but I went to this one church and I was walking past this guy and the topic of conversation on the pulpit versus kids he said homeschoolers suck and i was like thanks <laughs> just kept walking and i was like why would people think that anyways um <laughs> so i was very gregarious in high school then college hit and patrick henry like the course load was intense <laughs> and um I didn't know anyone back in Virginia. So no family, no friends, no one at the school that um, I had been friends with before. And everyone seemed so smart, <laughs> like they had it all together. And I was kind of like pulling my hair out. And um, freshman year was really, really hard. I didn't even have a car. So I was stuck on campus like all the time. And my roommate, um, I, I wasn't used to living with a roommate. Um, and so I, I kind of retreated into myself a little bit and people called me a hermit, <laughs> but <laughs> I would watch movies in my closet because <laughs> I needed some alone time. I know it's so bad. 
but um yeah i guess i guess the course load maybe new experience yeah okay are you i to some extent or another i wanted to ask which i'll tie it in but i wanted to ask relative to the sense of justice seeing the kid in the corner sort of thing mm -hmm. is that like do you find that you are relatively empathetic or relative or even just maybe emotionally intelligent because like there's different you know different takes on empathy but are you someone who takes on other people's emotions other people around you or it feels like other people's emotions strongly or are you someone that just happens to be good at you know like being empathetic for someone and how they might be feeling like what's kind of the the breakdown there that's a really good question um i actually i don't know if i'm very empathetic I'm, I'm definitely not a very compassionate person, <laughs> which is not good because God calls us to love people and be compassionate. <laughs> um, I do have a heart for people that are really struggling though. Like if there are true deep struggles that people are going through, then I, um, I'm a little bit more compassionate. But if there are like millennials that are, you know, oh my gosh, I had to spend a half hour in traffic today I'm like get over it <laughs> so uh yeah I guess it depends on the situation that the person is in where I can be a little bit empathetic gotcha okay so then I wanted to tie that into being at college would you before you were gregarious I would assume you would have described yourself more as an extrovert or were you just a happy introvert with a lot of friends and then did you just become more introverted at college like how would you describe that element of who you were at the time? Yeah, um, I think I was an extrovert in high school. I took the Myers-Briggs test and everything. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, it says I was an extrovert. And then um, then I became an introvert. I took the Myers-Briggs again, <laughs> became an introvert in college. Um, so I don't, yeah, I guess it just kind of switched <laughs> based on circumstances. <laughs> that's, am that's amazing. Uh, only because, well, I, changes are good. But anyway, it's funny to me because in high school, I was the same way. I led all the things. I was the one organizing all the things, had the group of kids, very much the leader asking my parents every day. Like I was the little kid, like at four, five, six years old, would wake up at like 5.30 and run in my parents' bedroom and be like, what are we doing today, mom? Like that's the kid that I was, right? <laughs> Um, and so, but then I got to college in the first semester, I was very much, I was going to the volleyball games and like doing all the things engaging. And then I was at a, like a table and there was a group of people at the table and some very idiotic things were expressed and said, and it totally turned me off. And I was like, all right, that's it. I'm done. And so like, from that moment, I like forged my own path. I had like my small group of friends and if people wanted to come interact with me, I was totally fine. Happy to have a conversation, but I was done sitting at big tables doing the extrovert thing. Mm -hmm. And that kind of defined like the rest of my experience there in a lot of ways. And I became way more introverted. Like I've <laughs> lived by myself the last uh, many, many years now. And it's just like, I like doing my own thing and I don't enjoy, I enjoy being with people. I still get energy from it. It, like an extrovert would, but my fuse is just way shorter. <laughs> yeah. And so, and then like the course load piece is interesting because I think at PHC, a lot of people have this 
you know, I have to do all the coursework and I have to keep up with all the different things. And I ended up taking, and I don't know if this is like an inherent personality thing or what it is, but I did the kind of like tackling 70% that got me 80, 90% of the way there. And so like my grades were fine, but they weren't like as great as they could have been if, you know, I was giving it my all and I never pulled an all nighter. Uh, I never stayed up past like, I think 11 or so 10 or 11 for school. I stayed up later, like having a conversation with a friend or something a couple times. And then I worked all the time. Like I would work 20 to 40 hours a week. I think my average was like 30. So like, it, yeah, that's, that's what I was doing. While other people were doing school, I was working and, you know, and then I kind of did, the, again, I would do like 70% of the work to get, you know, B's and A's or whatever, but yeah, um, yeah it was like definitely a, a different approach. So yeah, I, I know what you mean. Um, okay. So you graduate with your SI degree. At what point did you start to take a step back looking at SI stuff? Well, I, I did go into the SI field. So I went like less than a week or two after I graduated, I started work. Um, I worked at the Fusion Center in Seattle. So the Fusion Centers were created after 9-11 to fuse information from the CIA, FBI, uh, military, et cetera, et cetera, police officers. Kind of an information aggregator agency. Yeah. Mm -hmm, exactly. So I worked there for a year. I got my TSSCI clearance, you know, which was like a big accomplishment. Um, what was it like your technical title? I was, I guess you could say an intelligence analyst. Okay. And what sort of, what was your job? What were you, what were you supposed to be doing? <laughs> yeah. Um, I did a lot of special event threat assessments. So, okay. um, I would look at um, past attacks from people in our country and see why, what, where our security was kind of failing in certain areas. And I would kind of give advice or at least tell people in the military or police officers to be aware of these certain things for these special events like concerts and, you know, um, like the, um, Anyways, I won't get into too many details, but <laughs> I would kind of um, tell them to be aware of these things. Um, I would also, on a daily basis, brief the military and the three-letter agencies and stuff um, on some of the world happenings that were going on in the area, um, uh, specifically terrorist-related. And uh, just some other things like that. I went um, to like Amazon and kind of worked with Microsoft and Amazon and Boeing and about some security related stuff as well. And <laughs> had some DEA training and it was, it was pretty broad. <laughs> cool. So, yeah. <laughs> Got it. Okay. So you did that for a year. Yes. Then what happened? Well, <laughs> very, very interesting. Um, so my contract was up for renewal and I was kind of like, okay, what do I do? Do I want to, were you, sorry, were you contracted as an independent contractor with a third party or were you working specifically for an agency at the location? I was with a third party. So I was, okay. yeah, I technically wasn't, you know, a fusion center employee, but I worked there full-time 40 hours a week right there in the FBI building in Seattle. So got it. Okay. 
Yep. Um, yeah, it's just the taxes were different. <laughs> yep. um, um, so yeah, my contract was up for renewal and um, I, I was just kind of taking it day by day. I was like, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because my commute into Seattle was an hour and a half one way, hour and a half back. And oh, it was just, it was, it was intense. I was kind of getting a little tired and all day, every day. You too just, much alone time. <laughs> yeah, too much alone time. I made it through the whole Bible again on the bus, like twice, <laughs> which is great. Um, but um, then my mom kind of got sick. She's good now, but she got sick and um, she was working for my dad and she needed someone to replace her working for my dad. And within like a few hours, you know, on that last day, kind of before was, the contract was up for renewal, I was like, okay, Lord, you know, <laughs> direct me. And he pulled me out of the fusion center and put me in mom's position in that day, that very day. And um, so I've been kind of working for Veritas Forensic Accounting and Economics ever since. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love it how there's been a number of things in my life that played out to kind of like, you know, I'm on my last severance check or whatever. And like, that's the day I started the new job. And it's just like things like that, that, you know, oh. that are blessings. So, well, but, but hard to, it's hard to make, you know, keep your cool uh, you know, prior to that. So oh yeah, um, it's, it's definitely a, a difficult lesson, uh, lesson in patience. So mm -hmm. for sure. Um, yeah. Okay. So I'm curious then, your, did your dad start the company? Yes. So, okay. So there's two. So I work for Veritas Forensic Accounting and Economics full-time. I also work for the Veritas Foundation part-time. Yes. That's, which is the newer, newer-ish venture, right? Basically. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. We started that basically early 2020, the foundation. Yeah. And then okay. the accounting company has been on going on for like, 11 years or so. Okay. And did your dad start the accounting company? Yes. Yeah. Got did. it. Okay. And what sort of accounting in it is it? Because you've got the forensic piece in there, mm -hmm. which sounds more, uh, you know, movie-esque than, you know, maybe <laughs> traditional accounting. Yeah. It, does that play a large role in what you guys are doing or do you offer both sorts of services? What's kind of the, the plug and play? Yeah. Um, so we're not, typical accountants, I get, I guess, um, you could say we're not like tax accountants, you know, every year, um, April 15th, <laughs> but so forensic accounting, accounting, what I learned is, um, so we take businesses that have lost money due to fire fires or like a fire damaged their building and they lost a ton of products. And then we see, you know, okay, what did they, how much money did they lose? Um, we also work with the Department of Justice on some things, um, uh, employee fraud or something, and we <laughs> see how much the employees stole, and not specifically from the Department of Justice because they, you know, but they hire different things for different companies. <laughs> yes, so yep. definitely, how much money people lost from certain things that happened that were bad. <laughs> gotcha. Okay, and so then, what's your full-time role within that? Because your title, I think, is like accounting analyst, technically, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. are you working on those projects? Are you interfacing with clients and customers? Are you in the weeds? Like, what's kind of the breakup of it? Yeah, um, kind of pretty much all of that. 
Um, I do manage the books for the company too. So a little bit of administrative side. So April 15th does come up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, not fun, <laughs> but um, that's okay. I do what I can. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I'm, I'm definitely kind of helping out with a lot of these projects and lots of Excel spreadsheets and look at, you know, payroll details or expenses and revenue and all that. So lots of gotcha. Math. Yeah. Do you like it? How does it compare to the SI piece of your background? Well, I, it's a lot more mild. Um, there's only one case where we had someone that's shot and there are pictures of blood and stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's kind of a relief that there's only been one case like that over the years. Cause back at the fusion center, you see, you know, really bad things happening all day. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. I was getting nightmares and everything. It was just, it was bad. <laughs> um, and so now they, I, I like math. <laughs> so I like working on spreadsheets and I can work from home, which is really nice. And don't have to commute three hours a day. <laughs> so I really, really like it. Got it. That's very cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, yeah. I wish I was better at spreadsheets. So. <laughs> I don't know if it's okay that I ask this, but what do you like do today and nowadays? No, no, it's a hundred percent. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's one of my favorite parts is of podcasting is like actually turning it into a conversation. So, oh, good. um, yeah, so I do a lot of things. Um, my most recent job was working. I was hired by a company that does lead gen in long distance moving. And basically I was hired by the co-founders to, they had some capital and they wanted to start a new company or buy a new company. So I was hired by them to come in and basically be the person that spearheaded that. And so at the beginning, my job was kind of going through a few things they were doing within their company, like their like customer capture uh, quiz and whatnot that they have on their website, their Facebook marketing campaign and stuff. And then from there, it was basically looking at like 150 different businesses online, like which of these are interesting, would be interested in buying any of these? Yes, no. Very superficial level, but basically just scanning them mm -hmm. and pulling out, I don't know, 20, 25 or so, having a conversation with the main co-founder I was working with about, are these, you know, are we interested in any of these? Yes, no. Because I didn't really care. I was just there to kind of operate. Um, and they ended up saying no to like all the different ones that even they came up with. Mm -hmm. And we came back to building a moving brokerage which is basically like if you're trying to move long distance, instead of it, you're never talking to the person that moves your stuff. You're talking to a company that basically is better at marketing that captures your interest. And then they sell you a move and then they sell it to the carrier underneath them hmm. at a discount or a profit or whatever. So basically the idea was to build a moving brokerage with a tech stack so we could move 80, 90% of the sale online instead of having to what the current industry model is across the board, which is have salespeople from wherever harass you all day long on the phone. <laughs> so, and there might be five, four or five carriers all having their salespeople call you sort of thing. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And they don't talk to each other. So even once you've booked, you still are, you know, saying, no, Hey, stop calling me. <laughs> so that was the, that was the idea. And basically we got to kick off. We had marketing campaign or Facebook marketing campaign. We had the, the initial tech stack and whatnot all in place in the landing page, which, you know, I helped 
I was designing it and whatever, not in, I don't make it look pretty. I just kind of put the parts in there and then someone else makes it look nice. But, um, and then the supply chain disruption finally trickled down and basically like kind of cut margins out from underneath this because all the good carriers that, that, you know, move things, they switched from moving personal belongings to moving freight because they get paid more and it's way less hassle than somebody's house. And then all of the garbage carriers who might sell your stuff out from under you were also then charging you, you know, exorbitant rates because they could, because that's what the market is currently. So basically they kind of put the whole company on ice and gave me severance, which is what I'm on now. Um, and so that's like my technical job. I have different projects like the podcast. Um, I am, I have the chosen candle company, which is like that, which is like handmade candles, um, that I make in my kitchen right now. I, I need to outsource it cause I don't enjoy that anymore, but basically it's a handmade candle company called chosen candle. And we donate like 10% of profits to anti-human trafficking. Um, speaking of, did you work on the, the anti-human trafficking, like border security alert and the human trafficking one at Patrick um, Henry, like the, the special project? Yeah, I think I did border security alert at least for. Okay. I, I, I was the one that started, um, the human trafficking one. So that, oh. that's why I was curious. <laughs> um, <laughs> cool. yeah. So anyway, so I have, I have that though. It's been like kind of on the third or fourth back burner. I'm doing like a 98 day thing, which like starts today actually, but to like give it like a real good swing for the fences. Cause there's been like good spots and then like low spots and then good spots. So like, all right, I got to make this serious or not. So anyway, uh, working on that. And then, um, I'm doing a couple like contracting or consulting kind of roles for a couple different people in different companies who are looking to scale their operations. It's like one's a podcaster trying to solve YouTube content strategy, Instagram content strategy, and, um, kind of getting a writer for their script for their podcast. So basically said, Hey, I'll help you. Cause he's a cool guy and he's got cool connections. Huh. And, uh, I really like interacting with him. And then there's another guy who runs a Twitter content agency. So he basically writes tweets for people to drive their growth. And right now he's like doing most of, you know, 90% of the work himself. And he's wants to, it's not sustainable a B he wants to scale. So basically coming in and being like, all right, like what sort of, you know, do we use ClickUp to organize the, you know, the project management of the content writers and then how do we create consistency and, you know, manage contracts and stuff. So I'm doing a couple of things like that while I, you know, apply to jobs and whatever else. So yeah. Wow. I'm juggling a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, I still have, I, I might be more introverted, but I still have like the extroverted or I don't know the personality driven need for action. So <laughs> I try and fill up my time with it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's good. You could kind of turn it off and turn it on and, and you could be extroverted when you need to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get to have the conversations I want to have. Like, yeah, you know, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, awesome. yeah. Really yeah. interesting. That's kind of cool. It's God's kind of opening and closing doors and you just keep going through it. <laughs> I've been on a, yeah. If you look at like, you can look me up on LinkedIn or whatever. And it's like, my background has been so different and, you know, like, from security to a startup graduate school, where I still got my master's, but I don't obviously use it. And then I went to director of facilities and operations for a ed tech company. And yeah, I've just been pivoting, 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 pivoting. Hopefully the next few years should kind of, you know, consolidate a little bit, all of the diversity, but yeah, it, it makes applying to jobs very interesting because it's, uh, you know, 
HR is typically looking for someone who's like done the same thing for five, 10, 15 years or whatever. It's like, well, I've done a lot of different things. Yeah. yeah. That's good. I mean, college only teaches you so much. Then you kind of have to have experience in other things too. So I think that's good. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, Okay. So your foundation. Yes. Where did the idea come from? And then what is the foundation about? Yes. Okay. So my dad is friends with this man at Bible study and this man at Bible study named Ken, he lived in Beau, Sierra Leone, West Africa. So Africa, I'm going to try to do it from your perspective. Okay. <laughs> Africa is like that. Sierra Leone is like right there. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, Bo Sierra Leone, West Africa. And he lived there for a year and he worked at an orphanage back there from that was kind of sponsored by a company in America. Okay. When, yeah, when he worked at the orphanage there, he became friends with the director of a blind school in Bo right there. And the blind school wasn't getting any help really from- and By blind school, I assume you mean school for the blind. Yes, exactly. Okay. School for the blind. Yeah, school for all the kids there are blind. Um, okay. And so we, we just saw like the huge need to help all these kids because they're emaciated and they don't have any food and they're falling asleep in class and um, their health is really poor. And um, yeah, so he and my dad are kind of brainstorming about, you know, can we get churches to donate to this and all that? So we reached out to a few different churches and the churches kept saying, no, no, we can't do that because you're not a 501c3. So dad told me one day, Haley, you're starting a 501c3. <laughs> I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> so I uh, tried to fill out all the paperwork with the IRS. And of course I mm-hmm. had some help, thankfully. And uh, we started the foundation and a lot of churches have been donating. So that's good. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay. So you're the, your title is executive director. Are you doing all of the things within the foundation or has it gotten to the point where you have help and what, what's kind of, again, the breakdown of that? Yeah. So I manage the books again (laughs) for the foundation. Well, Um, you must be so good at it that it's like, you might as well, right? uh, Yeah. (laughs) I like QuickBooks. It's fun. So, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, so I do a lot of work, but Ken, he does like pretty much 90% of it. So he's kind of our project manager for Sierra Leone. So he, he, um, you know, sends money back there for building projects. We built a kitchen for the blind school. Um, and just as an example like that, and then he kind of sends the expense report to me and I fill it out and yeah. Um, so (laughs) got it. Okay. And when it comes to, we'll get into the details of the location and whatnot, but relative to the raising of money and the 501c3 status and stuff, what sort of things, what does that relationship with churches look like? Do you guys have a, a program in place that you stick to? Like what is what basically what does fundraising look like and how is it organized? Oh, that's a good question. Um, It's, so hard <laughs> fundraising fundraising is so difficult um so we 
I actually am in the process. So I, I changed to a different church um, recently. And you uh, as in you personally, or this pertains to the foundation? Uh, me personally. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to a membership class to become a member. And then I'll meet with the pastor, hopefully of that church. Like I, like we've done for other churches in the past mm-hmm. and ask him, you know, Hey, <laughs> you know, can you, can you help us out here? <laughs> this is what we're doing. This is, this is where we need help. And, um, these other churches in the past have committed to giving a certain amount monthly each, um, each year. So that's kind of what I'm hoping to do with this new church. <laughs> gotcha. And how do you feel about the process of asking for money and having that conversation? It's, oh man, I told the Lord, you know, guide me, (laughs) guide me to do anything you want me to do, except ask people for money. (laughs) And he obviously had other plans. Um, Like, I'm so glad that you and I agree on what you should be working on right now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) I worked so hard. And then now it's, something completely different. <laughs> that's oh, um, always the way it, that's always the way it goes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully it's in God's hands. So that's <laughs> what matters. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hard. Um, a lot of my friends, a lot of like millennials these days do not donate. They don't tithe. They don't donate. So it's hard for me to make friends and be genuine friends. And then they, and then the foundation is like my greatest joy, you know, and they don't ask about that because it's uncomfortable because, you know, they don't, because they don't give exactly, exactly. They, yeah, Hmm. I, you know, it's just, it's so difficult. So a lot of our support comes from older people. So dad reaches out to his friends and Ken reaches out to his friends and the churches and all that. Um, so that's been a blessing. And I try to deal with more of the social media side um, at this point. So that's very difficult. I have never been on social media except for the last like year or two. <laughs> so I was trying to learn everything. It was hard. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Does it bother you that there's this reticence relative to giving? Or is it more just like a, hey, even if you're not doing it, you should be mature enough to engage in conversation regardless? Um, uh, that's another, you keep asking great questions. <laughs> um, it, it does bother me a lot. Um, now, if they're giving to other, other things, that's fine. And I can't ask them, well, are you donating? You know, <laughs> like, are you tithing? Because the Bible, God makes it so clear, you know, give of the first fruits, tithe 10%, you know, and if you're not listening to that, then what are you doing? (laughs) I mean, are you just looking at the Bible as purely symbolic? I mean, how can you take that as symbolism? Um, So it it does bother me a little bit, but um, I want, I want to have friends (laughs) and I don't want to keep asking them for money. And yeah, so it's hard. (laughs) Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Interesting. Okay. We, we might circle back to that, but all right. So tell us more about Sierra Leone and some of the work that, that you've been up to and that's, you know, some of the stories and things like that. Okay. Okay. So, um, Sierra Leone 
back in the 1980s, I'll kind of give a brief history. Um, history is super important. Yes. Okay, good. Yes. <laughs> um, so in the 1980s, there was a ton of conflict with um, the trade in illicit gems, which is gold, aluminum, and diamonds, blood diamond, um, Leonardo DiCaprio, <laughs> you know, that great movie. <laughs> um, and so it's very true. It's also based on history. So uh, the conflict from the 80s over those gyms stemmed a civil war that happened between 1991 to 2002, and about 50,000 people died um, in that civil war. And I mean, you'll walk around the streets of Bo and see people without their arms or their legs and, because they lost it in the civil war, um, which is really sad. And um, so... Sierra Leone has been struggling a little bit from that, um, that conflict from the diamonds and the gold and, and all that. And I was looking up some statistics on the World Bank and the World Bank says, you know, generally people of the world are kind of coming out of poverty, but in yeah. sub-Saharan Africa, which is where Sierra Leone is, um, by 2030, the World Bank says 90% of the world's population of poor people will be in Sub-Saharan Africa. So it's going to get worse <laughs> for Sierra Leone. Is that how that math works out? Or is that just to say that the rest of the world is going to continue to get better at a rate that is faster or higher than Sierra Leone? Therefore, and at that time, 2030, there 90% of said poor people will be in Sierra Leone. That makes sense. Um, so yeah, if, as the world progresses and gets, you know, wealthier, I guess generally, yeah, Sierra Leone is in Sub-Saharan Africa is going to be stuck. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Which is, I, I'm only curious because I'm interested specifically and want to make sure I understand. Um, so, which is not necessarily the exact same as saying it'll get worse. It's just that it's not necessarily getting better, right? Exactly. Basically. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I guess Got I can phrase that better. <laughs> and, and 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 what is the driving factor for that? As far as you guys can tell, obviously, you know, sitting in our plush American homes. <laughs> yeah. Um. A lot of people in Africa that I've talked to and that I've read, um, they say that it's due to um, poor poor leadership, poor government leadership and mm -hmm. corruption. So, you know, when I got landed in Sierra Leone and I was struggling making through customs and they said, you know, you know, give a little, little money and I'll get you through. And I said, I actually don't have money. I didn't exchange it yet. I mean, I have some chocolate and they're like, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> and they put me through. Um, so, the corruption is is huge there, which is sad. How does how do you guys at the foundation handle the disbursement of the money that's going into that place into a corrupt environment? Like, how does that? I assume you know. I assume the people running the school are probably you know uh, good good people and whatnot. But then I, I'm sure as soon as you step outside of that, the people they're contracting to build the kitchen and whatever else may or may not be and in all likelihood or not. So how do you guys 
manage against that? Like, or do you leave that to the people on the ground to a certain extent? Like, how does that, how, how do you guys interact with that reality? Mm-hmm. Um, so Ken has, he goes to Sierra Leone frequently throughout the year. He's, his next trip is going to be three months and he's going to stay there. Um, so he provides kind of a little bit of accountability. We send the money back to people that are kind of independent. So if there's a project for the blind school, um, we have a pastor friend back there who we send the money to and he pays for the blind school and sends us receipts and sends us pictures. And so we have uh, kind of a physical (laughs) evidence of that the money spent. And then we go back there often to keep track that it is spent well. so yeah. gotcha. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Got it. All right. And so how many kids are at the school currently and where do the kids come from? Are they being dropped off? Are they, is this a known spot for, you know, a kid, if you're blind, are they local? Are they coming from around the area? Like what's the, what's the kid situation? Yeah. Um, so we have about 48 kids there at the blind school and they are, Mostly in Bow, but some of them are from Kenema, uh, which is, I guess, about an hour away. So they kind of, it is kind of a well-known school. Um, And a lot of the kids have come, okay, so (laughs) since poverty is so prominent there in Sierra Leone, a lot of parents can't provide for their kids. And when their kids go blind, they doubly can't provide for their kids because there's not a system in place for kids to thrive with disabilities in the career field. So for example, this one kid, um, Muhammad, he's a Christian now, but um, he was born into a family and was, he had his vision when he was born and he started to go blind at, I believe the age of six. And his dad freaked out because he thought his son was going blind because of witchcraft. Witchcraft and voodoo is a very prominent thing back there. Yeah. Yep. And so he beat up Muhammad and took one of his eyes out and left him at the school. And so we get a lot of kids who've been neglected by their families um, there at the school. Is there anything in particular about or relative to the environment that causes the kids to go blind? Like, is it a water source or is it just like natural? I I don't have no idea what the percentage of people who are blind in anywhere is. So is it like just a function of said society that X number of, you know, X percentage of individuals are blind or is there something specific that drives the, um, drives the condition? Um, I, I don't know the exact percentage, but definitely more people are blind back there than there are here. And I believe that it's from the water source. Um, A lot of the sun exposure aggravates a lot of, you know, their eyesight kind of going bad because the sun is so prominent there, (laughs) it seems like. Um, And genetics, of course, and um, just the nutrition, lack of lack of good nutrition. Um, so there are a lot of contributing factors back there, environment mostly. Gotcha. 
And what all do, what, so what are the kids learning at the school? What's being provided? What's happening at the school? So and, and uh, I'm going to add a asterisk. What is the balance between just providing life and whatnot versus caring? And obviously it's different than if one was to go through the same circumstances in our society. So I understand that, but what is the balance between providing basic, you know, life and sustenance and whatever, and kind of caring for these kids who have gone through and come from these often horrific um, circumstances emotionally mm -hmm. and, and, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, it's, it's very difficult. Um, so, so generally we just have a, a general, they just learn generally a general education. Um, and when they grow older and phase out of the blind school at about age 18, we have a partnership with the Sierra Leone Association for the Blind that teaches them career building skills specifically for blind people. Um, so that's great. So they kind of have that with a general education, they kind of have experience for the career field and they can have jobs. Um, when it comes to them lacking family structure, um, it's one of the struggles that we're dealing with right now is all the girls are in one room and all the boys are in another room. And these two girls keep waking up at night screaming because they had nightmares because their parents abandoned them or their parents were killed some way. Um, and they're scaring all the other little girls and they don't have anyone to go to <laughs> for help <laughs> and comfort um, when they're alone in the dark at night, you know? And um, so we're, we, so I mentioned the pastor um, a couple minutes ago. And so as we develop a relationship with the pastor, friendship with the pastor, he has two youth leaders, Kemo and Amanata. Amanata's a girl and Kemo's a guy. <laughs> and Amanata um, kind of, she can shield these girls from the things of the world and kind of be an older sister to them and kind of help be a family um, for these kids. And when we go back there, um, you know, we're, we're there comforting the kids and they have little voice recorders because, you know, they can't read anything. And they asked me to sing Jesus Loves Me into their voice recorder so they can like listen to me singing to them at night when they go to sleep. And <laughs> we just, you know, we try to be um, a family for them when we can. And we have the pastor team that comes in and they're a family for them too. That's very precious. Yeah, <laughs> they're so cute. <laughs> That's very cool. Okay, so what is the vision for the school, and 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 mostly as it pertains to? Well, let me ask it this way: Is the school kind of operating? You said the school was your dad was aware of the school, or Ken was aware of the school prior to the foundation existing. So, are you guys getting more plugged into the specific? I don't know if running of the school, but, you know, directing of the school or yeah. is the school very independent and you're just, you know, providing financial backing and then obviously whatever uh, moral and emotional support that you can as you're over there and have connections. Hmm. Well, we um, we're kind of becoming more financially involved. So 
the school was operating fine, kind of, without us. Um, there were dogs and chickens and goats that were running all around the campus and leaving, you know, messes in the classrooms. And the kids are blind and they can't, they just step on it and they get sick and, you know, they get malaria. There weren't any screens on the windows or their beds. And so they get sick there and there wasn't enough food for them. And so lacking nutrition there. And um, a lot of the classroom tiles were broken and they're stepping on and hurting their feet and they don't have any running water. So the kids would have to somehow go out of the blind school and walk down the street with you know, buckets over their heads, navigate while they're blind. I don't know how they do that. That's just amazing to me. And go and bring water back, you know, 30 pounds of water on their head. I don't know how they do that. Um, so, and they were falling asleep in class and getting sick. And um, a lot of them, we wanted to introduce them to Christ. And um, the director of the school was a Christian, but, you know, we didn't feel like the kids were understanding, you know, the full joy of knowing God <laughs> if they wanted to. <laughs> so, um, we, you know, we kind of reached out to the blind school and said, what do you guys need help with? What do you want from us? How can we, you know, bless you? And so they had some things like, oh, please, we need more food or, you know, we need bed nets and all this stuff. And so we just started helping and um, we're bringing in trucks of water for them so they don't have to go outside and um, build a kitchen and a laundry area and um, showers and all this stuff and, and we have um, we partnered with a local hospital so that the kids have free health care um, and so we're just I don't know we're it, it seems to be going really well and all the kids ages 12 and up asked to be baptized so mm -hmm. we baptized them all which is great <laughs> so nice yeah. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, that's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. What I, I was going to say, what, what are you, you know, your ministry with the human trafficking and all that? I mean, how do you, is there like a certain organization that you give to or? Um, right now, I mean, it's super baby baby company, but, uh, the two organizations that we support is the international justice mission and the OUR rescue under now underground, uh, operation underground railroad rescue. So the, I don't know if you've heard of them. They're like kind of a, they're, they're slightly more militant is the wrong word, but they're a slightly <laughs> more aggressive version of IJM. Um, and so oh, like wow. they have their own canine units and stuff like that. So, That's and awesome. they work specifically with the police like on the raids and stuff wow. so we actually had somebody like hey i was going to support but i decided not to because they don't like that aspect and i was like well who do you think is going into the house you know yeah <laughs> Which, with, like you know and like you think these bad dudes are just like oh yeah here's the kid that you know i was selling <laughs> yeah I someone's mean got to be that person and i'd much rather it be a person who cares about the topic than just random government official which you know could totally turn around and do it behind your back you know mm -hmm. so anyway yeah I, that 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 confused me but you know anyway yeah those are the those are the two that um that i support just because they're easier more straightforward i'm sure if it you know becomes a bigger deal then you know we might get more specific with it but it doesn't make sense to do that yet yeah. so 
Wow, that's awesome. I've been to a conference for IJM and it's just incredible what IJM does. They're a huge organization. It's, it really is amazing. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. yeah. All the yeah. testimonies of people that, you know, they've saved and they've changed their lives and given them a career path. I mean, that's just, if we could do that, <laughs> you know, the foundation could save people and give them a new life. That's what we're, that's what we're hoping for. <laughs> that's very cool. Um, Cause you just started in 2020, right? Mm-hmm. So when did you first, well, that's when the foundation started. When did you like send your first check? When was your first like real action for the school or towards the school? We sent money, at least mom and dad and I um, and Ken sent money before the foundation started for like a year, maybe. So back in 2019, we kind of started, um, but we opened the first foundation bank account in like March of 2020 and gotcha. people started kind of joining us and donating then. So. Gotcha. Okay. So I want to ask, what is, how do you navigate the dichotomy of living your own life? And you're like, well, I guess you hour and a half outside of Seattle. Um, are you in Redmond? Uh, I'm further out than Redmond. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. But it's in the area. How do you know? We used to be friends with some people, people that were up in uh, Bellevue. So oh, I spent nice. some time up there. Huh. Um, so, okay. So how do you navigate the dichotomy between, you know, living a, a, a blessed life, um, and trying to care for, you know, those who are obviously in these, you know, horrific conditions, because I know that I've spent a lot of time thinking about this as a topic over the last many years. And I go back and forth between investing and growing my portfolio and net worth and capability because of things I want to be able to do with my family and for my family. And, you know, I've got dreams and aspirations, right. But there's also a part of me that goes like, you know, why am I not just living in a hut and giving everything I possibly can to try and, you know, help, help others? How how do you, as someone who's doing much more than I am, how do you navigate that, um, that dichotomy? It's, it's difficult. Um, because, you know, coming back from Sierra Leone, coming back to Washington and, I, I wanted to tell all my friends, you know, this is, this is, you know, the poverty over there. Aren't we blessed? And no one asked me, you know, how was your trip? Let, you know, let me, let me listen to <laughs> the struggles back there. How can I help? And um, so it's definitely, we are so self-centered <laughs> in, in America, so self-centered and I'm guilty. I am so guilty of that. And so I'm like, Lord, why, why do you have me here? (laughs) You know, why, why am I here? Why am I not living back there? And the Lord brought a couple things to mind. Um, The foundation, you know, those kids wouldn't be helped today if it wasn't for us here in Washington. The Lord's using the money that we're giving to them, (laughs) you know, we got to be open and tithe and give to them. And um, another thing, now I I don't know if this is um, the best example, but Abraham had, you know, 
all the camels pretty much in the whole world. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, it's kind of silly, but God blessed him so much. And I'm not the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. I, I'm not that. I'm not supporting that at all. But um, God puts people in different situations to help with different things. And if the Lord is using me in America to help those kids in Sierra Leone, great. If he wants me to move back to Sierra Leone, he's going to have to make it really clear because I really don't want to do that. <laughs> but I'll go, you know, I'll go. <laughs> gotcha. Mm -hmm. hmm. How do you, well, are there any other highlights from the foundation and and stories or background or anything like that, that it would bring you joy to highlight? Well, um, I could tell a little bit about my trip back there. Um, so we went back there and witnessed baptisms from like so many amazing kids and some people in the community. And um, I got bit by river flies. And so, <laughs> I, they got infected and my legs swelled, swelled, bleh, swelled up, it got swollen <laughs> and it was like oozing and all gross. And I went to the hospital and I asked the doctor, you know, what do you think this bite was from? And he said, river flies. And I'm like, do river flies cause blindness? And he said, yes. I was like, could I go blind? And he said, yes. <laughs> and I was like, well, what can I, can I stop it? Can I, can I, you know, stop myself from going blind? You have some carrots? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he said, yes. I'm like, okay, <laughs> how can I stop it? And he said, medicine. And I said, okay, give me the medicine, <laughs> please. And he said, this is only medicine that you can get here in Africa. And we were leaving to go back home in like two days. And he said, I can't get it in time before you go back and I'm like okay so do I stay I mean I, I gotta go and yeah who would have thought you need to stay in Africa for medical help yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> and so I kind of asked him some more questions more questions and apparently he was saying mectizin which is ivermectin <laughs> I, <was> which, <laughs> I am one of those people that <laughs> thinks ivermectin is a miracle drug <laughs> and I had some in my suitcase and I took the ivermectin and I'm still going to be on it for another, you know, six months or so, but I will not go blind. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> it was just amazing. Um, so that was miracle that I had it right in my suitcase. And then the other miracle of my time in the hospital was, um, I mentioned the Sierra Leone Association for the Blind. So we had. Did we lose her? Hi, are you there? I am. My internet's terrible. Well, I mean, not to get overly excited, but you know, that is the section where it would naturally, the internet would cut out, right? So, oh. um, okay. You were explaining the second part, second, the second element of your story. Okay, yes. So Sierra Leone Association for the Blind, we hadn't known about that while I was in the hospital and we had been praying for ways to take care of the kids after they phased out of the school. And 
the director of the Sierra Leone Association for the Blind happened to be in the hospital while I was there and Ken started talking with her because he's very gregarious and started this conversation and we are now partnering with her and helping the Sierra Leone Association for the Blind and they make baskets and soap and rugs and cloth for clothes and they're going to be kind of taking care of the kids after they phase out of the school so that's that's a huge huge thing <laughs> another miracle that's awesome <laughs> yeah that's very cool <laughs> yeah. it's um it, you know it's it's interesting that a lot of people, right? America, great society, lots of stuff, right? And then we all have this whole mental health problem, blah, 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 which is to a certain extent self-serving, right? Mm -hmm. um, or introspective at the very least. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the solutions or one of the protocols for navigating that is counting your blessings, right? Mm -hmm. But I wonder if there's something to be said for maybe also counting the ways in which you're able to bless other people. Mm. And I suspect, I, I just thought of that now. So that's not, you know, it's not like I've been stewing on this or anything, but um, I wonder if that's also, there isn't something there that can also be drawn upon. And I suspect if there are people who are struggling and don't know what to do or are feeling lost or whatever, I wonder if there's something to be said for trying to get plugged into, you know, instead of spending a couple extra hours on your couch being depressed, uh, you know, um, maybe try and spend a couple extra hours figuring out a way to, to help other people through organizations like yours and whatnot, whether it's, you know, it could be local or foreign, obviously, but, um, but I wonder if that might be uh, efficacious. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, the Lord says it's better to give than to receive. <laughs> and I, I do feel so fulfilled um, helping these kids because back at the Fusion Center, I was doing so much work to help people, but I couldn't see, you know, how I was helping them and if I was even saving their lives or not. I mean, I don't, I don't even know if I did, <laughs> but mm -hmm. the kids just love you so much. And I guess that's kind of selfish of me to want that affirmation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it, it's, um, it definitely turns the focus off you when you see these kids that have such joy in the Lord and all, despite all the struggles that they're going through. As you're navigating your personal life and whatnot, does it feel normal to live the life that you're living, which to your point is relatively countercultural? Um, does it feel normal or do you feel abnormal? I don't know. Does do you, what? What do you feel like relative to that? Um, I maybe natural. Natural is a better word. Forget the word normal. Natural. I guess I feel I feel natural living the way that I do now. Um, but I I'm I'm more alert. I think um, because everywhere everywhere ha you know has their struggles. Everyone has their struggles. So. Here in America, we deal with selfishness and um, you know money, but in Africa, they deal with corruption and money <laughs> too. So it's not it's not a perfect you know your life's gonna be 
you know, so different and amazing. If you just go to Africa and live like that for a little bit, um, you might appreciate where you are more. Um, but it's, it's just the way things are, <laughs> you know, I, it's kind of sad, but it does, it does help me be more aware, I guess. Um, yeah. Do you find that awareness to be taxing or exhausting in any way? I, I'm kind of sometimes embarrassed <laughs> by it because I find that I'm judging people here in America a lot. And it's not good <laughs> for me to do that. And um, it's also kind of a prideful thing, you know, like, I don't know, it's just, you know, don't spend all this time thinking about yourself when you have a perfect body, you know, you can see, <laughs> help other people, because that's what God calls us to do. And so I judge people for wallowing in misery that they've created on their own when they're, you know, when they could do so much more for the Lord. And it's kind of embarrassing, but um, yeah, so. <laughs> what sorts of things outside of the foundation and whatnot make you happy, bring you joy, et cetera? Yeah. Um, I love my new church that I'm going to. Um, it's a great church, and I'm getting a little bit more involved there, um, going to young adults groups and all that. Um, I just finished a year's worth of leading Bible study fellowship, BSF, which is great. Um, and I, I love going to the gym, <laughs> just kind of being out there. What sort of workout stuff do you do? Oh, it's probably not good, but I do like the <laughs> the bench press and the squats and the deadlifts and everything. And so you're so, you're on the weightlifting side of things. Yeah, <laughs> I don't nice. like you, but what about you? <laughs> what do you, do you do? You go to the gym and all that. <laughs> uh, I well, for a long time, I was going for an hour and a half a day, and I was playing soccer three to five times a week. Wow. So I was like, after I worked out, like. It was crazy. So huh. I used to be super into it. Yeah. I kind of took a step back because my body kind of smacked me around a little bit. Um, cool. But uh, <laughs> but it's still a learning experience. Um, <laughs> and now I've been slowly building out my own um, like personal gym stuff. So like nice. in my, you know, I live in my condo, right? It's so like in my living room or part of my living room, the entryway, I've got like a rubber mat. And I've got like my barbell so I could do deadlifts and I've got, you know, my bands and whatever else. Um, kettlebells have yeah. been very, very great. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, my, my plan has been actually to move down to Texas this year, hopefully, mm -hmm. and move into a spot. Um, I'm, I'll rent out my condo here and then uh, I'll move down there and hopefully into like a house of some sort where I can like build out a whole thing in the, in the garage Cause so that way I can get back into doing squats and then, um, I want to like get like a tire and have like a sledgehammer for the tire. Cause like, I want to get into like really dynamic stuff. Um, and so that's what I would like to do at some point, but yeah. So yes, I do work out and I've been getting much more consistent the last couple of weeks of getting back in the swing of things. It's nice that the weather's nice and all that's helpful. I can go outside, kick the soccer ball around, run around in the sun a little bit. Oh, that's fun. But, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's cool. So you have that. And what other things do you like to do that are fulfilling to you? <laughs> well, I mean, obviously I've got 
the projects that I named, mm-hmm. I have a couple other letters that I didn't mm-hmm. just cause they're smaller or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've been trying to do because, you know, I live by myself. I do my own thing. I've worked remotely, et cetera, et cetera. I try, I've been, I've been trying to be consistent about investing in the relationships that I do have. So yeah, I've got one friend that lives a couple hours away. So we'll try and be intentional about connecting. He'll often come up and stay with me for a weekend, things like that. Um, I've been camping lately since October. I got back into camping since I moved here. I haven't done any. And so I've been loving that, um, found a spot where you don't actually have to pay. And it's decently rural where you feel like you're actually out there, not just, you know, surrounded by a few million people. And, um, and then, uh, trying to do things like movie nights with my sister and her friend. Um, I'll play Call of Duty with my brothers because they're still in Oregon. And so I was trying to figure out a way for us to connect a couple years ago. I was like, well, I'll get them set up with like an Xbox and stuff. And that way we can like game together, even though, you know, I live 3000 miles away. <laughs> so that's been like an easy way to, you know, fun way to hang out and once or twice a week. Um, and then I consume a ton of like YouTube content and, and just general content on a hundred different topics. So I do spend a lot of time consuming different podcasts and, um, YouTube channels and like just all kinds of stuff like that. I, 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 there's a lot of inbound. Um, so yeah. And then I've been trying to get more consistent with reading just because it's so hard. Once you're an adult, reading is so much harder, uh, to be consistent with. And so I've been trying to be consistent with that and, and continually working on that. But, um, so yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Reading is, oh, it's, it's not easy <laughs> you know, to sit there and concentrate. <laughs> it's yeah. Well, it's, you go from scrolling on your phone to, you know, I suppose you're not on social media as much. So I, that must help a little bit. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Sometimes uh, I just leave my phone and go away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And see, I always be like, oh, what if someone important is calling me, you know, which is not ever true, but just in case. <laughs> Um, I feel like, like, oh, what if, you know, what if I get a notification of something important's happening? Like I want to be engaged. You know, I, I, I like that action. So it's like, I want to be plugged in Yeah. this morning, for instance, though, I left my phone inside and I actually had my devotions outside where it was nice and warm this morning. So I've been getting better about that, but, um, but yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a good thing to leave your phone in the other room. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's um, awesome. Cool. Well, uh, what I'll, First of all, thank you for sharing about everything. Yeah. And um, I will definitely, um, you know, I'll link the website down below. Is there any, do you want me to link any personal social media, things like that? Or do you want me to like link your, the, I think you guys have an Instagram because I think I was looking at it. Um, yeah. Do you want me to link that stuff down below instead? Cause I, I, I didn't, I don't think you're very active if at all, other than through those mediums. So is yeah. that what you would prefer? I think so. Yeah. The foundation versus, versus my stuff. Yeah. That'd probably be okay. good. Thank you. Well, for doing whatever that. You, yeah, of course. Um, and then if people are interested in the foundation at all, you know, who knows who may someday be listening, um, then what is a, should they, can they, I assume there's like a contact form or something like that on the website that they can, um, if they want to reach out that they can. Yeah. Um, I don't think we have a contact form, but um, my email is on there. Um, and that's, I can't even change my name here and just put my, my email address, um, which is, 
I check that every day. So if anyone wants to do that, there's there's my little email address right there. <laughs> Haley at veritasteam.com. All right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Cool. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll make sure that stays highlighted. Cool. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day and being willing to come on. It's uh, it's always exciting for me when someone's like, yeah, I'm down to come on. I'm like, yes. So um, <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's, you're doing something different than many other people and it's interesting. And I like, you know, I like listening to and learning from and connecting with people that are doing interesting things. So it was certainly my pleasure. Oh, mine too. This is great. (laughs) Good. Good. I'm glad. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And uh, if people are interested, the information is down below. Thank you.